Let's praise him again all over the house. What a worthy God we serve. Come on, lift your voice all over the house. Lift your voice. Give him a little energy. Come on, sacrifice of praise. That's right. That's beautiful. Ha ha. Ah, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I believe you are as happy as I am to be here in this place, magnifying the name of Jesus tonight and throughout this entire week. What a great time we have had in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to preach to you for a little while tonight in just a moment. And um, trust that God will help us in a very special way. I do believe. I'm sure some will think it's grandiose, but I do believe that God has his hand on the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship. It's not just some kind of card signing membership, but all of the extended influences of its fellow laborers, plus those who are bearing the load as members. I believe that God wants to use it in ways that are so supernatural that it will take our breath away. And I believe, I know he's already done it in some instances, and I'll give you a few tonight, God willing, while I'm preaching. I'm talking about stuff that have, where world-class power of God is manifested through the efforts of this people, and the results far bigger than the size of the group. That's how God works. Can you say amen? That's how God works. That way he gets all the glory. Amen. So God bless you. You may be seated. I try to think. I try to think of the songs that most consistently manifest how I feel about Jesus. I've asked Sister Wilson tonight to sing this song that since I was 14 years old, Manifest probably as good as any song ever written how I feel about Jesus. If you feel that way, you lift your hands and let's love him together right now. Oh, Jesus, that's how we feel tonight. That's how we feel tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Sister Wilson. Praise God. While you're standing, if you have your Bible, I would like to read a text to you from the book of Exodus, chapter 19. There's probably no more important verse or two verses that God gave to Israel 
than these two and they backed away from them said instead of us being this give us somebody to be it and we'll be under them Exodus 19 5 and 6 now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people that's my title tonight above all people for all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in the new testament peter does a takeoff of that scripture it wasn't original with him he was quoting out of exodus 19 5 and 6 when he said a scripture that we all know well at least i'll read the first line of it first peter 2 and 9 he said but ye are a chosen generation and a royal that's king priesthood that's priest finally revelation 1 and 6 picks up on the same theme and says and have made us kings and priests unto God and has made us kings and priests unto God and I want to preach to you for a little while tonight about kings and priests above all people I don't intend to preach a long time, but I do want to preach in a way that God can mark all of us with the Holy Ghost. So would you lift your hands with me right now one more time and let's ask God to touch us in a special way. Would you pray? God, let the Holy Ghost move in this place. Touch us tonight. Touch us tonight, Jesus. I pray and I believe you. Oh, let's clap our hands and praise him. Ah, love you tonight, Jesus. Love you tonight, Jesus. Love you tonight, Jesus. Shalom Love you tonight, Jesus. Come on, let's do it again. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We've got to give him some praise tonight. Thank He's a worthy God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This scripture that I read to you tonight is a hard scripture for us. We don't have a handle on it, but we need to work on it. It says that we are a people, the people of God, called of God. There was no people of God until God called Israel out of Egypt and called Moses as their leader. And with Moses and the call out of Egypt is the first time in scripture that there is this thing called the people of God. Once the people of God was identified in the Old Testament, there is a continuum from the Old Testament into the New Testament of what the people of God are. That's why Peter, without any reservation, could quote out of our text 
tonight about a kingdom of priests and say that we are a royal priesthood because he knows that the New Testament people of God is the church, spirit baptized in the spirit of Christ and water baptized in the name of Christ. Can you say amen? And so knowing that, Peter knew that there is this thing called people of God in the earth. There's numerous other scriptures that we have not taken time tonight to look at uh, that identifies the people of God as being truly a unique thing in the earth. That there is nothing else like it. The psalmist said that there, it is not accounted with the other nations. For they have not known the God of Jacob. That it is a different thing in the earth. There are 200 and something nations now, I understand, in the world. But there is no nation in the world like the church of Jesus Christ. That is not just words. The church of Jesus Christ is a unique thing in the earth that makes people take stands that will defy any government like Sister Kim Davis did uh, a week or two ago for her convictions. Uh, and, and she said, I love everybody, but after knowing what Jesus did for me, I've got to be faithful to my Lord and King. I can tell you know him like she knows him. And once you know him, brother, there's nothing comes between you and him. He is preeminent in every decision of our lives. Let's praise him again. Amen. But the question is much larger when you consider that it says that God's people are above all people. And so when I have read that by myself and I have stopped and looked out the window and pondered that scripture, I have said to myself, can we believe this? That we are a people above all people. And what does that mean? And what is the implications of that? Or is this just wasted words? Or does it sail right over our heads? Because to be a people above all people, to be a, a king and a priest, or a queen and a priestess respectively, do we realize what is being said about us and the implications of all of this? Because to be a king royalty is the highest possible class on earth. In fact, it's so high that royalty transcends class. Since class is determined by economic status and royalty, their position is not dependent upon economic status. It is above all of that. And when the Bible says, it doesn't say we shall be kings and priests. I'll talk about that a little bit. God willing in a moment, but it doesn't say that we shall be kings and priests. Re uh, Revelation says, hath, past tense, made us kings and priests unto God. I don't mean to sound elitist tonight, but at some point we got to cross this bridge. At some point we got to embrace not 
what our timidity tells us about ourselves, but what God said about us. And is there a point, and is there a point at which if God has said this to us and we reject it, is there a point at which he becomes displeased? Is there a point at which judgment falls on us because we refuse in our false modesty to accept what God has said about us being kings and priests, hath made us kings and priests, and is saying, I made you this, are you getting it or are you avoiding it because of some kind of fear that you have to embrace that and see what it means to you. And I would propose to you that we're never going to get where God wants us to get until we learn how to embrace this and find out what it means to be kings and priests unto God. He's worthy. Let's just praise him again. There is a thing called, a thing that most of us in America don't know a lot about because we live in a democracy. We know the advantages of a democracy when you're talking about an earthly uh, potentate or an earthly king. But there is a thing that in history has got a much longer history and is much better known historically than a democracy, and that is the divine right of kings. The divine right of kings is a religious and political doctrine of royal as well as political legitimacy. And this particular doctrine that you've heard, the right, the divine right of kings, asserts that a monarch is subject to no earthly authority and derives his right to lead from God himself. That God has given that monarch the right to lead. And therefore the king is not subject to any other estate of the realm. He is beyond that because his anointing and right comes from heaven. In the Eastern Asian areas, they call it the mandate uh, of heaven, the mandate of heaven. According to this doctrine, only God can judge the king. Only God can judge the king. We're going to see in a minute how hard the world is going to try to judge the king. And the question is going to be, do we buy into what the world tells us in their judgment of our kingship? Or do we believe the report of the Lord that says, hath made us kings and priests? And anywhere the divine right of kings is, the attempts, any attempt to depose the king or restrict his power in any way runs contrary to the will of God and may be constituted as a sacrilegious act that if the mandate of the king comes, that it is a sacrilege, not just a disobedience, to disobey that message. And so you can see here tonight, in this introduction, that our text that I read to you, that I don't propose to have my arms fully around, are in themselves amazing scriptures, in that they clearly identify us as kings and priests. 
I am taking a little time here to drive this home. Your natural tendency is for you uh, to say, okay, that's neat. Okay, let's move along. But we haven't got it. To be a king and a priest in a world that's a democracy, what does that mean? And how does that translate? And what kind of actions does that mean we live as Christians under God that have made us kings and priests? The New Testament quote, uh, quotation of Exodus 19, 6 is, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom. That's kingship. Of priests. That's priest. And this all stems with evident reference to the original charter that was given to the Jewish nation that we read in Exodus um, 19. The idea is that we are presently this. That, we, uh, that the exalted dignity of this has been invested in people that have found the power of God in the Holy Ghost to transform their lives. And uh, kingship is the exalted dignity of authority. And priest refers to the engagement in the holy service uh, that like Jacob's ladder connects earth to heaven. The part of man that transcends finite stuff. Uh, it connects it and all, both of those are vested in us. In old days, uh, these two dignities of king and priest were the two highest for millennium. They were millenniums. They were the two highest offices of authority that there ever was. And they were ever, hardly ever invested in the same person because um, unless they were sedulously kept apart, uh, it always ran the risk of a grinding tyranny if one man or one woman was both. Uh, king and priest or, or, or queen and priestess uh, that, um, uh, that it, it, it could become where there's no appeal of any kind and so but what this is saying is that the, is that the incredible fact that the smallest person in this room tonight the newest convert the youngest child baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. The most uneducated, the simplest mind, whoever it is in this place. Uh, in them, the coronation and the consecration are past events if they've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, now I'm going to tell you folks, there's some kind of potential in us that we haven't reached yet when you realize that we are kings and priests unto God. Everybody, let's praise him. Yes. Amen. Before I pass on here, I, I want to I wanna remind you one more time that we're talking about things that are in the here and now. This, is, this kingdom stuff and priest stuff is the now that we're in. It does add that we shall reign with him. Can you say amen? amen? That is coming. And so it points to a dim future that we don't have a full handle on in which all that is tendency that we understand here is going to be perfectly realized hereafter. And, and I confess that we see through a glass darkly into the future. Therefore, we won't spend a lot of time on it. But there are scriptures that says, uh, know you not that you shall judge angels. There are scriptures that says, that you will have authority, not just Christ, but we who rule and reign with him will have authority over the nations. Uh, ruling with a rod of iron. That's a promise of scripture. These are promises that are not all clear to us, but they are certain. And uh, that 
we will at some point, Hebrews 12, 28 says, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And so we are royals. Look at your neighbor and say, we're royalty. Next thing some of you are going to be wondering is, well, if we're royalty, where's all the dough that comes with being royal? Where's all the loot? Because royalty is, they're people that are used to lavish lifestyles. And that's true. Royalty has the most opulent uh, palaces with um, hundreds of servants to take care of every need. You're saying, okay, okay, I like this better all the time. Uh, and the lives of royalty are very much privileged, very much so. Uh, I read somewhere that Queen Elizabeth, up until 1997, Queen Elizabeth II had, and her family would frequently take trips on board uh, their little yacht. It was 412 feet long. And uh, that's, a, that's a long ways. <laughs> that's a long way. That's a big boat. And uh, not only could they carry themselves uh, and 250 servants and crew on it, uh, it also would carry five tons of luggage. Uh, and uh, uh, this is when they wanted to get away from it all. And uh, if they didn't want to go, that, the, when they were getting away, they were getting away from one of their places called Balmoral or uh, in the country. It's a country house in Scotland. Uh, it's a little place they can go to get away. It's a 50,000 acre estate. And uh, when they wanted to take trips to get away from that on their 412 foot yacht, they would leave that terrible place. And Or they could go to Buckingham Palace, which you've all heard of, a 240 bedroom manse in London with more than 400 servants. 240 bedroom pads. I don't know how many bathrooms it had and how many kitchens and how. But Buckingham Palace is by far not the main palace. Windsor is the main palace where Elizabeth's traditional family retreats to Windsor. And her royal highness can always find a seat of power there because she has eight thrones in that one house. There's 650 rooms in that one palace. How many rooms you got in your house? Amen. A little different world. The largest palace in the world is in the Middle East, in Brunei. It's the, uh, it has 1,800 rooms, and the throne room is tiled in solid gold. And the chandeliers alone cost $12 million. I'm liking this king and priest stuff better all the time. Maybe that makes a little more sense, though, to scriptures like, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Or maybe it makes a little more sense. Romans 2, 4, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. Or Ephesians 1, 18, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the riches of his inheritance in the saints. 
I don't think I know all the riches of the inheritance in the saints yet, but we're going to work on it tonight. My Lord, that could get away from me right there and just make me want to run the aisles the rest of the night, even though I don't even know all I'm running about. My Lord, the Bible says in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the blessing of Abraham. Our kingdom has its own riches, and when the final revelation comes of what those riches are, it's going to make these other places look like peasants' houses, because we are already kings and priests unto God. Man, that ought to be enough to at least praise him a little bit. You say, well, well, all right, Brother Wilson, why don't we have all that opulence right now? Well, opulence is not experienced when kings are at war. We haven't got back to the palace yet. We're out here on the battlefield right now. We know we've got it back there, and we've got the resources back there. But we're out here on the battlefield right now. We'll worry about the rest of it. Oh, but brother, we are going to meet around the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we are going to be in a place uh, that's a lot better than solid gold. Uh, and we are going to be with the King of Kings and Creator of the world. Folks, come on. We ought to do better. We ought to clap our hands. We ought to praise Him for the riches of His glory. Oh, yes, we should. And I'm afraid that many apostolics are pretenders to the throne. Pretenders to the throne is an official term. It's not just that somebody's making it up. And uh, contrary to what it may sound like, a pretender to the throne is not a fake or an illegitimate king. I'm going to preach here in a minute. It is, uh, I mean, it could be a fake, but it's not necessarily a fake. A pretender is someone who lays claim to the crown but doesn't hold it because someone else is currently holding it. And they're illegitimate in the eyes of the pretender to the throne. These claims of the pretender to the throne may be completely true and legitimate. But for whatever reason, the defunct king is unable to take hold of his crown. Thus, he is a pretender, which means... Kings had to fight for what was theirs. And if they weren't willing to fight for what was theirs, they could talk about it all day long. But they never got it until they were willing to fight for what was theirs. They had to be willing to strap it on and say, bring it, because we are going out to take what is ours. Somebody may say, well... Most of the time they had peace. Did you know somebody, I don't know how they calculated, some historian calculated that in the last 3,500 years of human history, there's only been 230 years of peace. In 3,500 years, 230 years of peace. 
That means a lot of kings had to do a lot of fighting to get whatever was theirs. And if you think there's peace on the earth tonight, you've been asleep for a long time. There's not peace on the earth tonight, but there are some kings that are going to war. We may have been latent for a long time. We may have been laying back. We may not have understood uh, what we are as kings and priests. Uh, but we're getting a little revelation, not only tonight, but in the last few years. We're getting a little revelation that if we'll get it on, and if we'll get a hold of, of, of what God has for his people, and if we will if we will make lay claim to it and not let the pretenders take it away from us, uh, but say you've had it long enough and it belongs to us, and we're going to have it, and we're going to take it, and we're doing it in Jesus' name. We're going to see stuff we've never seen before. We are going to see stuff we've never seen before. But the whole time, this is my opinion, all right? Everybody got their opinion for whatever it's worth. Satan's biggest command to his demons, to me, is don't let them know who and what they are. Don't let them know who and what they are. Because while God says we're kings and priests, this is what the devil says we are. 1 Corinthians 4.13 says that we are accounted as the filth of this world. That's what the devil says we are. Oh, you people are just a filth of the world. And, and it actually means prisoners, criminals, who were offered to the gods to appease them. They would, they would, we're those criminals in the minds of the devil. We're violating the world's order. And uh, scripture used the word offscouring. Another meaning for Oscar is scum. Something to be brushed away. So the devil's putting that on us. Don't you ever forget that the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest changers of history in the history of the entire world, is not mentioned one time in secular history. Don't be waiting for the world to pat you on the back or give you a trophy. In the world's terms, they were beating him and throwing him out. And he was the off-scouring and the scum and the filth of the earth. But again, it goes back to whose report will you believe? Who has the authority to define you? Who are you willing to listen to? Who are you willing to determine what you're going to be or not going to be? That's the challenge to this fellowship. let's preach a little bit so who tries to keep us from being defined as kings well our own folks preach to you young people for a while our own folks sometimes try to keep us from seeing ourselves defined as God defines us as kings because when David was going to be anointed by Samuel his father intuited what it would mean if his favorite boy David had the call of God placed on his life and so before Samuel ever gets there Jesse makes sure 
that David is nowhere around. And when Samuel gets there, the Bible says the city trembled, thinking that they'd done something wrong because the prophet had come. And uh, Samuel says, uh, nothing wrong. I'm going to offer sacrifice while I'm here. But Jesse senses that the call of God of kingship is being laid upon his son. And he knows which one it is. And he makes sure that he is on the backside uh, of the property where nobody can find him. And the fact that David gets overlooked seven straight times is not an accident. Uh, it is, it is, the scripture clearly identifies that Jesse is sending each son. And then he attempts to make it too hard for David to come in from herding sheep. And he's trying to protect him from the man of God. And protect him from his destiny. And saying, let's hem him in. Let's cage him where the call of God cannot get a hold of him. Because he knows intuitively that kingship is going to mean a change in his favorite boy's life. And how many parents see their kids in Hope Corps? How many parents resist that? How many parents say, I don't want my kid being too spiritual? Or I don't want my kid being too strong in the church? Or I don't want the preacher? Uh, I know people and the pastor people who uh, they, they, they're afraid for the preacher to have influence on their kid. And they do everything they have to subvert the influence of the preacher on their kid. Uh, and uh, they're a parent like Jesse was. Uh, and all I can say is, uh, uh, first of all, you're a, you're a foolish person. The second thing is, uh, if God lays his hand on that kid and that kid keeps obeying God, you might as well shut your mouth. God's going to raise that kid up uh, and God's going to work through every one of the bondage of physical ligatures that you're using to try to prevent this from happening. I'm praying to God that God gets a hold of young people and they become Holy Ghost potent, powerful people like we've never seen before. Come on, let's pray it right now together in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost is here. Holy Ghost is here. Let's praise him again. Holy Ghost is here. Ho! Talk to us, Jesus. The devil wants to keep us in a cubicle. Jesse's being used to the devil and doesn't know it. He doesn't want David knowing. He's trying to keep his family in a cubicle. My God, there's a lot to say about that. The cubicle sees the four walls of that familiar territory as opposed to the wide open that is out there. And the possibility of the cubicle pushes our young people and pushes us into a prescribed corner with the result there's people sitting here tonight that are well past 40 that have never I had a district superintendent tell me one time he was a good friend of mine over ice cream late at night. He said, Brother Wilson, I'm 55 years old and I've never got on track. And it made me shudder. 
because the elders I was raised with at the time he said that it was about 28 uh, but I thought to myself I can't tell him this uh, but I have got on track uh, because somebody a long time ago uh, they said boy you need to go out there and if you get killed you just get killed you need to go face it uh, and, and get after it and let God do something in your life Now, as a result, we got people that's never entered the wide open. We got leaders, some leaders still, that's scared to death to get out of the status quo. They're scared of their city. They're scared of their church. They're scared of the people. They're scared of themselves. They're scared of their wife. They're scared of their husband. They're scared of their kids. They're scared of the devil. Oh, my God. God that we can get broke loose uh, and get a little dose of courage uh, and say I ain't living in this fear that has torment but I'm coming out to see God burst forth with worldwide apostolic revival I need some passionate people tonight to get a hold of this And it's going to be in stuff that's not culturally acceptable for some people in their little families. But I got to ask you the question. What would we do tonight without a David? And where would Israel have been if the prophet would not have kept probing, probing, probing? Until he finally found that boy and in spite of what Jesse wanted and in spite of what his mama wanted, the handle of God was on him that said, he's a king unto me. There's a divine right taking place on his life. May God put that on us tonight as a fellowship. Somebody has to open the door and go. And then the rest of us can come. Man, I don't want to get all esoteric here tonight, but there's nothing clearer in Scripture than that man belongs to the infinite and the open. That he was not intended to be cooped up in a cage. We are meant to experience revelation. We are meant to have powerful victories in spite of the fact that stunting forces are always at work trying to prevent us from having that rounding us up and circling and warning and restraining and resisting and limiting and being conservative about everything in terms of taking territory instead of finally are you ever some you've been talking about it for years uh, are you ever going to come to the place where you finally say i am breaking out of this uh, if i die in the process i die in the process i'm not going to live like this one more day i'm not going to live without this victory one more day i'm going to have it i don't care what it takes i'm going i'm making some of you mighty nervous right now this is why people don't get very far in organizational jobs because it makes everybody nervous when you talk about that. Well, in the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, nobody gives a rip about any organizational job. We're talking about, are we going to break through? Are we going to become the men and women that God ordained for us to be? Let's really clap our hands to Jesus right now.
Come on, let's praise him. We talk about fellowship, but we don't need a shallow fellowship. We need a fellowship where there's true belonging. You can't have true belonging if Goliath is dictating who you are. True belonging is when there's a David and a Jonathan. That's where you find true belonging, where hearts beat together and where they're committed unto death to do what their master has called them to do. the day little chairman preaching here I heard the other day that somebody brother go there was a little upset about the WPF because they had somebody preach that had formerly they had been fellowship with them they were all independent and I don't know who this is so I'm not being coy and you, there's no use asking me because I can't tell you but uh, I heard that one brother said to another brother Man, the WPF used so-and-so. And I remember one time years ago where he wasn't exactly ethical in his dealings with another church. And I heard so-and-so's preaching at Summit. Well, I remember when, hey, let me talk to you. Are we ever going to give people another chance? Are we going to keep up this dumb game forever? I, I'm not talking about moral mistakes. I'm not talking about moral sin or financial dishonesty. I'm, I, maybe they made a mistake in saint relationships or maybe they were ignorant of how they ought to conduct themselves as a leader. Uh, uh, and, and, but, and they really wouldn't tell you, but they're really embarrassed that they were so dumb. Or maybe they're too dumb to even be embarrassed. What's the difference? And, but they're trying to take advantage of this new opportunity to have apostolic fellowship is, isn't there some point where my brother and sister, you are able to suck it up and stand tall and say, I'm forgiving and I'm giving another chance. Oh, he used to be in that organization. Oh, he used to be. Oh, I remember they were so hard. I remember they were so liberal. I remember that. Are you ever, are you ever going to grow up and become mature enough to know that God's called us to be kings and priests and for us to come together around the apostolic message and love one another and receive the word of God as it's preached to help us? Instructions to people getting out of their cages. But they're not random. They're not by chance. Paul said, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me. 
And then he says, and there are many adversaries. Everything's trying to hold you back. Everything's trying to keep you down. Everything's trying to keep you away from your destiny. David, these are on purpose adversaries. They don't want us to have fellowship. They don't want us to have unity. They want us to dream up artificial constructs that prevents fellowship of apostolic people. You can be a part of that and not even know it. My God, do you believe it shocked Peter when Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. Duh! I'm the guy that... We need our eyes open, but not only to the immediate. Oh, yeah, my eyes are open. I see brother so-and-so. No, no, no. Know what I'm talking about. That's, that's eyes open like an animal. You can only see the immediate. Animals don't know how tall this building is. They never look up and say, it looks like about 46 feet to me. Arf, arf. Telling his spouse, 46 feet. They don't do that. They're closed off from the open. Man is the only creation on earth that is made with the open. And yet we're willing to live like the Bible equates it to brute beast. Like animals who are what I would call world poor. Animals live in a poor little world in a little caged environment where they cannot see beyond that. Uh, Amen. And, and people that are living in that, I don't care if it's organizations, I don't care if it's churches, I don't care if it's families, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, people that are living in that, and that is the sum total of their world experiencing, uh, are living in a form of poverty that drives me crazy, that makes me want to say, come on, let's give people a chance to breathe the fresh and rarefied air of heaven. Let's let them break out of that cage and come into a place of their own where they become mighty people in God and leaders in their own right. And so Jesse would reduce the world to possibility to the size of his own safe world. I hate that world. I hate that world. It drives me crazy. It bores me to tears. Excuse me. Okay, we're going to make ministers. Okay, here's your book on how to do funerals. And here's your book on how to do weddings. And here's your book on how many steps to take back while you're preaching. How many steps. And here's your book on how to conduct a committee meeting. And here's your book. Baloney. Go get you somebody else to teach you that. I'm not teaching you that. I'm not wasting my time. You can learn that from you can learn that from any denomination. You can just go make it up yourself. I don't care what you do with that. But if you're talking about, I want to experience the awe of God. Do you know a child that doesn't have awe is a child that is that is stunted and a, and a, and, a, and an adult that doesn't know anything about wonder is a is a is a is an adult. They don't know anything about when they come to church. It's the same dry song. It's the same dry sermon. It's the same dry often. It's the same dry everything. Because it's not touched with the wonderful wonder. You've got to have the wonder of the Holy Ghost. And it takes effort. And it takes joy. And it takes worship. 
That's why we're enjoying this. Because we're all getting into it and magnifying God. Let's do it again right now. second one that gave David fits of trying to accept his definition as king was his own brothers. They wanted to talk about it and never do anything. You know, I got, you know, I'm trying not to be too blunt, but people who are in, who are pe people who are teaching abstract leadership that have never done squat you know what happens all the people that make up their mind are going to go do it they go do it all of those that cowered it out they go to school and they are drowning themselves in data thinking that if they learn enough data it'll finally work Listen, it ain't in data. It's in anointing. You may be seated. And you that are saying, well, the guy that doesn't go do it, he goes to school. But he's a guy that gets the degrees. So if you want an accredited school, they've got to have the degrees. And so they end up hiring the people that's got the degrees that don't know diddly nothing about what they're talking about. And they've got all these philosophies and theories that they're spinning that's enough to make you sick. And they don't know anything. Oh, oh I think this is how you ought to. I think you ought to shut up. Get out there and cast some devils out. Get out there and teach some Bible. Get out there and preach until people come to the altar and repent of their sin. Get out there where the rough and ready is. Get out of your cage and go do something. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what about AST? We have people that are out there doing it, teaching an AST. Man, that's the danger. Leaders in the real world can't sit around and listen to theories all their life. The world's burning. The house is on fire. They got to figure it out. They don't have the luxury of sitting and philosophizing and, and, and living uh, uh, in the theoretical. They're at the crossroads of the theoretical and the practical, and they've got to find ways to get it done. They can't stop and freeze frame uh, a preferred circumstance and say, I'm going to freeze frame that. That's not how life is not a single snapshot. The, 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 the thing's moving. Amen. It's like the parent who tries to freeze frame their child at a certain age and keep the baby clothes on them and the baby talk and... And, and, and we had a family, they're good people, but everybody in the family, the adults, the kids, the teenagers, everybody talked baby talk. The whole family talked baby talk. I don't know how they ended up talking baby talk. And when, you know, when I shook hands with my one, they say, how y'all doing? 
I didn't know hardly how to communicate. I picked up their accent when I was talking to them. Amen. But, but you, you can't freeze frame life with everybody being babies. Even if you leave them in diapers, it won't work. Amen. Or the wife who tries to uh, steer her husband into isolation and keep him, I'm preaching right now, and keep him uh, and preserve some sense of control over him, which growth would make impossible. And he would become something where you can't control him all the time. And you can't tell him every little step to do. I'm preaching to the sweet ladies right now. And you can't get him to do everything you want uh, because he's praying and he's out there and he's fighting the battle and he's struggling and he's fighting it out. Uh, you can't freeze frame him, sister. Amen. Not in, not if he's a king. He's got to go out there to battle. He's got to do it. He's got to bring the bread home. Should we, should we grind it a little closer to home? Or the pastor who attempts to freeze frame his church at certain levels of growth or spirituality? Or at a certain number, like the pastor that told me one time, I'm running about 240. It's just right. I don't want to grow anymore. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Your whole city of several millions going to hell to, uh, to satisfy your little appetite to run your little show. My God, how far can you be from being what a real king is? Or a church organization, a little closer, which valiantly continues to protect junk, which is long obsolete. Hey, baby, Oldsmobile's gone. It's out of there. Wards is no more. Don't try to get your refrigerator from Wards. Wards is gone. Wards is gone. Montgomery Wards is gone. The world's already passed you by. Put your catalog up. And a lot of other stuff that had to do with organizational constructs is gone. I know what I'm talking about. I know some of you aren't there yet to figure that out. And you probably think I'm way off tonight. But you can think what you want. I'm just telling you, you can't go back and model 20th century stuff and expect it to work in the 21st century. You've got to find the mind of the Spirit that moves us into revelatory power and opens doors that none of us have ever seen. And it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Brethren don't want him to, they don't want him to get it. Excuse me, I gotta wipe the spit off my coat. Gonna have to get this thing clean before the year's out. So we raise Pentecostal blue bloods. Have you ever wondered why they're called blue bloods? Now, if you're raised in Pentecost, that doesn't automatically make you a blue blood. So I'll give you the definition of blue blood, and you judge whether you're a blue blood or not. Blue bloods. Now, in the past, kings in the royal family pampered the family and the children so much that they strongly discouraged them from doing pretty much anything including learning. And 
They didn't exercise. The blue bloods of the royal family were not healthy. Their skin was blue. That's where it came, blue bloods. From lack of sun and lack of exercise and lack of muscle tone and lack of nutrition because they ate just whatever they wanted to. I'll have another ice cream, Mom. Sure, baby, you can have what you want. You're the king's kid. And so they became blue bloods. They were neither healthy nor, nor learned. They were unhealthy and ignorant. And more than a few kings took control of entire nations, even though they were barely able to read, had no military training, and little sense of economic strategy, and were weak and effeminate. And those were the people that were so pampered until they were virtually useless. But they were the ones ascending to the throne. The WPF and its environment is working to stop that once and for all. Now, most of that's not true of royal children anymore. Now, most royal children are educated at the finest private schools. And so we got to ask ourselves, which are we? Which, which one of those are we? We've got programs like Hope Corps. I've had people say, what if some kid gets killed? And my response is, that would be terrible. Wouldn't you agree? It would be terrible. An 18-year-old's following ISIS are setting themselves on fire with bombs, sacrificing their whole life for what they believe. I don't agree with all that, but I'm just showing you blue bloods that know more about the cut of their lapel and what it ought to be than they do about the 12 apostles. Now, while I'm on that, let me just tell you, of course, not enough. I hope some of you graduates are still here tonight after last night. It is a critical step. It's not the end. Hope course should only be the biggest thing in your life when you're looking up in anticipation. But don't let anybody kid you, including the WPF. That 12 little old units of college and one week of intensive training is enough to build your royal life. It's abysmally unable to do that. But it's a critical step that's been created. I don't want you thinking that I'm at the Hope Corps. I wrote Hope Corps along with Gordon Mowry 
one of the greatest missionaries in the Philippines that the Epsilon movement's ever known. We wrote Hope Corps on paper, spent hours doing it, got kicked in the teeth. Group was in, didn't want to do it. Finally, they let it go as a little program, but not as something that would rattle the teeth of blue bloods. It's, in, it's integrated into every, every council, every department of the WPF, in writing. Hope Corps is integrated. We believe in Hope Corps. Brother King and Brother Young and I went to the island, didn't know anybody, bought the property. Wild, wild, bought the property, found a guy with a big tractor to clear the dirt, cut the mountain out. Was out there, Joel Buxton went with us on one of these trips. Was out there, one night was out there when the sun was still going down, was out there when the sun came up, killed a big old snake, one of the boys, was long as here to that chair, six, eight inches around right where the dining room is now. Next time any of you go in the dining room, look down, be careful. We were so dirty, we looked like pigs. We laughed at each other. We looked so, it was so filthy. Nobody knew he was out there. Nobody knew what was going on. Some folks that are all amped up about Hope Corps now was against it then. But you don't, you don't, you don't worry about that. You just say, God didn't give them that vision to get started. He gave it to you. Get it going so they can see it. It's your job to get it going, not gripe at everybody. It wasn't easy. We bought the property and they said, I got calls. We got calls from all over the island and we got calls from people we didn't even know in Florida that said the property that you bought, you don't have legal, you don't have the, the people you bought it from. They're, the, the, they're from a firm that's the most crooked that's ever been on the island. Isn't God good? Me and Curtis Young and Miles went to their office. My God, we'd spent $25,000 to buy this acre. We walked in the office. The real estate person had a bodyguard, an ex-con. We got acquainted with him. We went to his house, he had fences like 12 feet high and dogs bigger than big. Wild. He looked fierce, energetic, strong, intimidating. We walked in there. We knew it was do or die. The laughing would never end if we'd wasted the money. We walked in the place. They had their little boy and they said, would you put your boy out? We want to talk to you. You remember this, Elder? It wasn't an easy moment. We looked at them and said, this is what people have said about you, ma'am, that your mom and dad's the biggest crooks that ever was on this island. I want you to look me in the eye. And you, sir, I want to tell you, and you, Mr. Attorney, that wrote these papers, I want to tell you, if you do us wrong, so help me God. You may know bad people, but you ain't never known anything like's going to happen to you.
I'm talking about are you a pretender or do you believe that God gave you the authority and sometime you're just going to have to stand on what God said instead of wait for somebody to defer to you. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. I can't hardly believe it to this day. God put our fear on them. That attorney said, all right. I mean, it's a wild place. The lady that owned it before we bought it was reputed in the last 30 years to have killed 200 people on that island to keep that property. While we're there, we go to eat, and while we're in the car, they shoot the back window out with a rifle. You don't know any about that, do you, about Hope Corps? Because there's no use talking about that. If we'd have talked about it in the other days, you'd have never let your kids go. So we kept it under wraps, Brother Tiller. We didn't talk about that. We got out and the whole back windows blasted out where the bullets hit and knocked it out and dented the car and stole the stuff out of it. But are you going to do it or are you not? And I'm just going to tell you, God put our fear upon those people. He said, look, it'll take me two weeks, but I can get it done if you'll just give me time. We said, we're leaving in three days. You're going to have it done, mister, in three days, or you're going to wish the rest of your life you would have had it done. Isn't that the truth? He said, he said, if I get it done that quick, you're going to have to give me a few hundred dollars to. He said, don't tell us, duh. We'll just give you the few hundred dollars. Here, here's four hundred dollars. We're paying you to do this. Whatever he's doing with it, I'm not sure, but I can't run. We can't run the whole island. We just gave him the money. And in three days, he said, come with me. He was proud of himself. They were all proud of themselves because they'd been honest. They'd had integrity. They were proud of themselves that they'd had integrity. They went down to the city hall with us and they, I don't, what do you call that kind? That's the, the best one. I don't know. I, we, I don't know all that, but but I knew it then, but they had three levels of ownership and we got the one that said, ain't nobody taking this away from you. Hey. Well, it's fun to tell it now, but it wasn't fun when we thought we may get killed. Just telling you, that's the way it is. It's the way it is. It's the way it is. I want to tell you kids something. I just said that to let you know, we're vested in Hopeful. We sat in a restaurant and sketched out the floor plan of that Hope Center that is built exactly like it was sketched out. Sketched it on a napkin and took it to an engineer and said, do the engineering on that, we're going to build this. Now Hope Corps owns it and now it's moving on. I'm vested. I'm in Hope Corps, 100%. But I'm going to tell you something. If you think 12 units of college and a week of intensive study and a blue shirt is enough for your life, you've got another thing coming and we will do you a disservice if we don't tell you you've got a lot more to do than that.
This isn't your grandpa's 10th grade world or your dad's high school diploma world. If you were able to get that, Brother Tim, put it up there. In high school in America today, this is Department of Labor Statistics, when you get out of high school, you can make $652 a week. If you have a BA, you'll make $1,066 a week. That's $1,800 more a month. That's $21,500 a year more. I don't want you $652 people in my church if you can be $1,000 people in our church because we need to tithe. <laughs> but your Hope Corps units aren't a waste because even if you just have a little bit of college, you make $727 a week instead of $652. You make another $75 a week just from Hope Corps. If you have an AA, two years of school, you make $785, that's $133 more per week than if you just went to high school. If you've got an MA, you make $1,300 a week instead of $652. If you've got a doctorate, you make $1,624 a week instead of $652. I'm just saying, I want to talk to you younger generation for a few minutes before I close here today about age and freedom. We've got this idea that you can't do anything until you're old. Jesus died when he was 33. The apostles probably averaged in their 20s. Brother Hausman, I don't know if you're here tonight, but he, he was on the, one of the committees this week. And he said, I, well, I don't want to do anything wrong. I'm only 35. He's enculturated in all this organizational jargon. I'm only 35. Well, did you know that in medieval times, the average lifespan was 25? And in the days of the early America of George Washington, the, agile, uh, the, the average lifespan was 45. And that Mark Zuckerman is 31. And he's worth $42.5 billion. And we're still thinking of... We've got to embrace a culture of freedom that God can do for us whatever God wants to do for us. I'm closing with this. Aaron's sons. Listen to this scripture in closing. Aaron's sons, and take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him. Take unto thou Aaron thy brother, talking to Moses, take unto thou Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. I, I, I'm not even sure that you apostolic young people have a choice what to do with your life. We say, well, you need to decide what you're going to do. I, 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 don't really, I don't really believe that. Those four sons of Aaron, nobody asked them if they wanted to be in the priesthood. It's not like Aaron and Moses sat down and said, okay, we're going to put you with a, a, a guidance counselor, a career counselor here to decide whether you want to be in the priesthood or not. God just said, Moses, tell Aaron to tell those four boys they're in the priesthood. This is what they're going to do. This is how it's going. If you're an apostolic, that's where you're at. I don't care if you become a, 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 a butcher, a butler, a, 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 a baker, a candlestick maker. I don't care what you become. You are first and foremost a king and priest in the kingdom of God. And there is no escape from that. And that's more important than any other single thing in your life. Sit down. Listen to me. I want to tell you. You get caught in football games and you get caught in the world and you get caught in unclean people in Hollywood and you get caught in unclean people on the gridiron that's all flesh and all greed and all covetousness and all money where 
billions of dollars every year are spent illegally as well as that which is spent legally on betting, on sports events, and you've got apostolic people that are trying to justify it and say that it's okay that it's just a ball game. You're nuts. It's not just a ball game. It's an idol. It's a heathen idol. And I don't care if it's a New Orleans Saints or the San Francisco Giants or whoever else there is. If you're out there, you're missing it. You're not acting. That's not where a king or a priest in God's army belongs. I don't care if you're doing it. I don't care if my relatives are doing it. I sold out to Jesus a long time ago. And you can't worship the world and worship Jesus at the same time. And if you want to do that, you don't need to be in the WPF. You can go with the others that are backsliding. But somewhere, we've got to get a grip on this and say, this is what we are and this is where we're going. Come on, let's praise Jesus. Come on, there's a lot of Holy Ghost in this room right now. You women, dolling your kids up, and want them to look like the world, and they're tight skirts, and they're too short, and your husband says something about it, and you gripe, shame on you. My God, are you crazy? They think they need a little makeup. They think they need a little cover-up. They think they need a little dye in their hair. They think they need a little jewelry on their face. They think they need a little... Hey, all of that's of the world. All of that's artificial. All of that's fake. We're not fake. We're not Jezebel. We're Sarah. We've got beauty coming out of the inside of us. And we don't need what the world's got. There ain't no use cutting any corners on any of this. There's no use acting like this doesn't matter. It matters, brother. It matters. Don't act like it doesn't matter. Don't act like I'm majoring on minors. I'm majoring on majors right now. through with all the notes actually I'm not I got much more but it, you can't preach everything in one night but I want to give you one more example not of the Bible of modern day of now of God doing miracles that matches anything you could ever read in a John Grisham novel or any other novel where truth is more powerful than fiction. Let me just tell you about it. I want Brother and Sister Ramirez to come pull two of those chairs out. Would you, Brother? Just kind of set them out here. I want to make a spectacle out of them. Come on, we're going to make a spectacle out of you. Beautiful young lady married to this kind of elderly man here. Just kidding. We have a training center in Manhattan, New York. It is a little less, I think, than a mile and a half from ground zero in lower Manhattan. High dollar property. It is the same distance from Wall Street. 
A lot of people would like to have that property. It was, it is a four-story building, and brother and sister Ramirez are pastors of the church that is in that building. And when Hope Corps started, the reason for intensive training week in Hope Corps is to globalize people by shocking them to see the world like it really is. And there's no better place to do that in America than New York City. And so Brother and Sister Ramirez opened, he said, you know, if you brethren will come look at this, it's four stories. It's not big, but it's four stories. And maybe it's useful. Well, we went and looked at it. It's 100 years old, at least. Brick. And it was, except for the church, which they had fixed up, that's on the street level, they had fixed up very nice. But the rest, it takes money, and it, and it was dilapidated in their home missions. And so some of us went and looked at it. And that's where Hope Corps got started. But we got to have places if you're going to do Hope Corps. you got to have faith enough to invest in something before it happens. And so we went. And uh, men that are here, I, I shouldn't call names up because I'll miss somebody. But I remember Brother Erskine, Brother Sutton, Brother Young, Brother Young, Brother others. If you raise your hand, I'll mention you also. Uh, I, I just don't remember everybody that was there. Brother Sean. Libby, others. There was a number of guys. We went and we said, if we will invest about $60,000 in this, it'll be usable. Top floor girls, third floor boys, main floor meeting place, church, basement, eating area, and fellowship area. So we started out, we ended up investing not 60000 probably more like before it was over 100 and something thousand. And, and, but it was, but the building was in litigation. It was controversial whether we would be able to keep the building. So we went through all the back and forth of whether we should invest this money. What if we lose a building? Well, we concluded that we're at the beginning of Hope Corps and we, and it's so desperately a need in the apostolic movement that we need to invest it even if we only get to end up using it two or three years or even if we only get to end up using it two years, but hopefully more, at least it's a place for our kids to taste. So men came, saints came from different churches, Brother Erskine brought a whole team, others came from all California and all over the country and went and fixed it where it was usable. Spent a lot of money. Court case goes on. We asked brother and sister Mercer once in a while, how's the court case going? You know New York, Brother Wilson. Yes, uh, you never know when they're finally going to have a court case. And so the way the courts tried to deal with it, to make a long story longer, <laughs> the way the courts tried to deal with it was get them to agree with the, with the other people that was contesting that it was really their building. And, and so, and it went on. So I got a cab and went for 76,000 miles to the train station. More or less, uh, probably a little less. And 
got on a train, D.C. to New York. Called Brother Ramirez, said, Brother Ramirez, I'm on a train. What train? I don't know what train. I just, just I, I feel it moving, though. I'm going down the track. I'm about as, I'm just totally out of my element. But I just said, well, bless God, we, we out of the element or not, we're going to stagger into that place one way or another. We're at least going to put our apostolic footprint where the devil's got his smell. And we're going to mark the spot. Finally, we got there. He picked us up. At, what's that big train station? That was Grand Central Station. Grand Central Station. Duh. Forgot my monopoly. I don't even know if that's in monopoly. Anyway, next morning we had a little powwow. Next morning we went to the courthouse. New York City, big, big, intimidating. He and Sister Ramirez took me to meet the attorneys. We met them. Two of them were left. And Ask later. Just, I mean, my mind was blown when I saw him. I thought, the other side, this is not an exaggeration. I told you this is better than a John Grisham novel. Some of you, like Mississippi people, like. He said, I said, well, who's those attorneys down there? He said, that's their attorneys. They are doing this pro bono. They are from the second largest attorney firm in America. They take up one whole floor of the Rockefeller Center. And here we are. And our attorneys had on, like when they used to pump gas at gas stations, they wore gas station shoes with their suits. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, these people, I, I, Isn't that true? It's true that God's good. Hey, these days you got to work through this stuff pretty carefully. You know, you get it. Yeah. Now, I will admit, when they opened their mouths, I was shocked. Brother, when they opened their mouths, they opened them with authority, and they made sense, and they blew my mind, our attorneys. And I said, Whoa, judge not by appearances. <laughs> but before it was over, one or both of those attorneys said, we need to settle. That's right. And then another attorney there that was working with another guy that was caught in the same lawsuit he got mad. He was a young guy. He got mad. That's right. You remember that? That's right. He got mad. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he got mad at us because we wouldn't settle. And he's like, I mean, he's like telling us we're stupid. Well, that went over like a crocheted bathtub. 
So, brother, can you, can you get up? Is your knee healed yet? Not yet, but it's... I'm All right, we'll do it easy. So he said, Brother Wilson, come over here. So we left a whole bunch over there. And he said, what do you think we ought to do? I said, well, Brother Ramirez, we'll do whatever you want to do. <laughs> he said, well, I do want your opinion. I mean, he was like saying, you flew all the way here, dummy, say something. <laughs> I said, well, this is just my opinion. My opinion is I, I don't agree with your attorneys. I said, Brother Ramirez, if it's me, I'd think of this as a boxing match. That's right. And we're in the ring. Amen. And I just tell him, sucker, if you win this fight, you're going to have to knock me out. I said, then I thought, oh, he may have asked somebody. I said, what did Brother King say? He said, same thing you did. <laughs> I said, what did your wife say? Now, I've never told you what he said, Sister Mercy. <laughs> she said, he, he said, my wife said, you would consider settling? Hey, I like that kind of woman. Stand by your man. I don't know if that's what Dollywood's all about, but I'll tell you what, you need to learn to stand by your man. Thank you, baby, for all those years you stood by your man. We got back in the car and we said, we're not backing up. And I looked in the rearview mirror and saw Sister Ramirez. By then, the, the kids were with us, their kids. And... And they're crazy too, but that, and in a good way. And, and, and I looked at her eyes and while we were talking about, I could see, this is the truth. I could see in her eyes. There was that, uh, what are you, Russian? Uh, I, I'll just go in my looks, but, uh, I could see that Latin fire come up in her eyes. And I, and I wasn't about to say, well, maybe we ought to consider negotiating. I wanted to get back home alive. I could see where she was thinking in her mind, there ain't no give. When I get this man by himself, if Brother Wilson says that he ought to negotiate, when I get him by himself, I'm going to tell him a thing or two. We're not going to negotiate this. We're going to win this. Hey, let me tell you something. This place is worth $3.5 million. And it's got skyrights. I'm not even going into what that means. That's worth another something million. I don't know how much that's worth. I mean, it's a deal. And everybody's saying quit. Everybody's saying stop. Everybody's saying you can't make it. Everybody's saying it. But they're hanging on. We went and saw the judge. He looked at me and said, what are you doing there? I was like, Brother Mirror spoke up and said, he's my counselor. The judge said, okay. I said, We went out, we heard other people in there later, the other side went in there, we heard people screaming. It's the truth, there was people screaming, there was people crying. I thought, oh, that judge is gonna, he ain't gonna like that. He's got hysterics locked in the room with him. 
and we couldn't settle it. The judge walked out and said, going to trial. And everybody's like, what's going to happen? We went and ate. We said, what do you think? We all said, going to trial. That's what's going to happen. It went to trial. First, they charged him with a bunch of stuff. And in the trial, they exonerated him completely of all that stuff. They said, that's gone. And then the judge said, I'm going to make the final decision on who gets the place later because I'm going to find out if he conducted his business meeting right. If he conducted it right, he wins. If he didn't conduct it right, you win. It took, what, several months? Mm -hmm. That's right. We're all waiting several months. Hey, what's happening, Brother Ramirez? Nothing yet. Is there any deadline when they got to do this? It was, a, it was a woman judge. You never know. The, the judge told said, when it goes to trial in New York, you all ought to know by now that you never know what's going to happen. That's why you ought to settle. Nope. <laughs> They're building multi-story luxury condominiums within a few hundred feet right. of this property. I'm talking about the, some of the most expensive property in America. Amen. And, the, and the, the decision of the judge came down last week, yep. about, about, two weeks ago. about two weeks ago, and she said, we won. Hey. That's little David against Goliath right there. I compliment the attorneys. I compliment the judge. I compliment the Ramirez's. But I want to tell you, you got to stand like kings and priests and say, this is ours. We're not, we're not pretenders to the throne. This throne is ours and we're taking it in Jesus' name. Where else are you going to find an apostolic group uh, with a Hope Corps address in Lower Manhattan, New York City? I, I'm going to tell you, it's the miracle of God, but it's just one of many that's coming down the pike. Amen. There's a whole lot more that's coming. Where are you at, Brother Hanscom? Wave your hand quickly. You're in here somewhere. I saw you earlier. Brother Hanscom, an evangelist, uh, the guy that's got the books back there. He's back here that wrote the book from Rome to Jerusalem. Some that got translated into Chinese. Uh, somebody in China read it. Uh, they asked him to come over there. The guy's the president of a theological school. He said, baptize me in Jesus' name. He brought 31 Trinitarian Chinese pastors, and he baptized all of them in Jesus' name. Now it's up to 51 Chinese pastors, uh, and over 50 or 60 he's already got the Holy Ghost. They said, come on back, uh, and he's supposed to go back, and we're going to help him go back. Uh, I'm telling you, God's doing some big things uh, if we'll just accept being what we are, a people that's above all people. You young people, I want to challenge you. Just taking trips every year is not enough. If we had more than one school, I'd advise you to go to either one of them. But we've only got one, and it's AST. It's not about me. It's about, it's about you. Amen. And pastors, you don't want your kids going to some, 
some some heathen educational deal. They're putting stuff in them you don't even know about. They're coming home and sitting on your pews uh, and they're going to disrespect you because of what they, they've been told about how you're just a hick from the sticks and you don't know anything. Uh, those professors that are unclean that don't know God, they are full of all kinds of stuff. Uh, you need to get a hold of something and get your kids. It's not the 20th century. You've got to get them in an apostolic place for them to get grounded on a level they've never been grounded on before. If you're ready to be a king and priest, we're singing right now. I want you to come to this front. Don't wait. Come on. Let's make a commitment tonight that we're going all the way in Jesus' name. I'll say people. Come on, middle-aged people. It's not over for you. God's got his hand on you. God's going to do something in your life. Come on, let's mean it. Come on, let's mean it. Come on, let's mean it. Passionately. up here. Move up closer, please. Move up closer. Come on, let's everybody come. This is our last night. Let's celebrate it with a commitment. Let's celebrate it with courage and boldness. I'll say yes.